Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It's not as late as it normally is. There wasn't a game tonight. So we are going to be fresh and, you know, our brains are going to work better. <laughs> well, I mean, unfortunately, there's always a, there seems to be a Wednesday game. Tuesday night's unfortunate to tape, but Chicago, you'll, you'll know the outcome again, as usual, before we will, uh, as, as we're speaking. But I mean, how about Zach Levine? How about DeMar DeRozan? Talk about a team that's, and they're without their center. Uh, so they're a team that's a little bit shorthanded that is just really doing well. They've gelled. And that's kind of funny to see because I, I wasn't, I was never convinced that Zach Levine would be able to do that. But you yeah. put DeRozan in there with his experience and whatever. Uh, he got a get out of jail free card from San Antonio and all of a sudden looks like a renewed guy playing on both ends pretty well. I do this the same way like if you're in a Portland like drizzle uh, in the middle of winter or spring and you look over and it's like oh Hawaii still exists oh it's sunny somewhere <laughs> like oh Chicago's doing well. well. And it feels ironic when it's the Bulls because that's one of those teams that you know again growing up a kid in the 90s and watching Clyde the Bulls were like evil you know evil michael jordan bulls <laughs> so yeah. but it's i actually am kind of a fan of the bulls now i'm not gonna lie i i they have Derek jones jr who we love they also have troy brown jr who is maybe not as well known of a name but he's somebody that i recorded something and got to shoot and and he worked on a project with me so i know him and really like him he also went to university of oregon so he's a you know got that hometown connection so i i am kind of enjoying i like demar Derozan a lot i'm i'm enjoying this this team of the bulls it's fun to watch caruso oh yeah it's fun to watch him uh, you know not on the lakers and yeah it's kind of a fun team that just kind of is really playing well yeah i mean caruso i mean definition of a glue guy look he the la yeah. liked him I mean, L.A. liked him. They just didn't like him enough. Uh, but they right. knew who he was. And now in Chicago, like, at least, you know, again, we're 15 games into the season. But for those first 15 games, he's really flowered fully. He's not scoring. That's not his thing. But he's he's gluing everybody together. And I think he's leading the league or close in steals. And it's just, it's cool to see a guy have a chance to blossom like that. And we know a little bit of that feeling because the Blazers were like that a little bit, maybe 2017 or so, or, you know, also in the late LaMarcus Aldridge era. I mean, I guess Raymond Felton didn't, but there were some players. I mean, Wesley Matthews, Wesley Matthews was good, but really became the peak of his career in Portland. That's a good feeling to see a guy do yeah. that with your franchise. And I like that Caruso got that chance. Well, and I always like when that happens on a team that's not a super team. You know, the the Lakers have had so many big names that I feel like sometimes those guys get lost in the mix oh and they gosh. don't really get their flowers. And he should. He, he should get that. So Yeah, it turns out Caruso was the important guy in that equation, right? Now we've got Russell Westbrook, who's just, oh boy. I mean, it's tough to watch him. And especially tough to watch him now. And, and, and again, okay, LeBron's been out. So this is mental a little bit because theoretically, yeah. Russell Westbrook should be able to be full on Russ and it should be okay. But there's a difference between everywhere he was before, including Washington, Oklahoma City, etc. right? Full on Russ was what they expected. Full on Russ was what they acquired, right? So right or wrong, good or bad, it was okay for him. It was unbridled and he played like that. Now, this Russ is looking like, okay, I want to turn it up, but I'm not sure where the ceiling is over my head. I'm not sure what I should do. You know, I don't think he's feeling that internally, but systemically. Yeah. And it's like he's hitting his head against this Lakers expectation and the LeBron thing and whatever, and it's just not working. It's just ugly. You get a little bit of that in Portland maybe too sometimes. Like, okay, you acquire a guy, 
Uh, Yusuf Nurkic has been on and off with this, although he wasn't, he didn't have a reputation before he came in. But, like, am I supposed to be Nurk Fever or am I supposed to be a complimentary player? Am I supposed to be just a defender? Where's, where's the avenue to what I'm supposed to be? And it seems to change game to game, season to season. Larry Nance Jr., I think, is coming up against a little bit of that. Norman Powell, less so. He's excelled this year. But then, you know, uh, he too has to fit in. What I'm trying to say is that kind of systemic fit is probably more important than we usually give it credit for. It's not as as easy as playing a 2K game and just getting someone with a a really high rating and then having them perform. They've got to know how and where and when and for whom they're performing in order to be free and and be their best selves. Yeah, you know, Russ is one of those people that I was never a fan of. I actually used to really strongly dislike Russell Westbrook, but he's grown on me. One, I love him off the court. He's a solid dude, like just a nice guy, does good things. He's incredibly entertaining as a player. I will never forget the time he shot a free throw and missed it terribly badly and looked around like, well, who did that? And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But the one thing that I'll say about Russell Westbrook that I I really wish we could get a little bit more of from some people is that man plays his heart out. He may be throwing up bricks left and right, but he is playing hard. His effort is always, it seems like, at 100 plus. Like he just, he does not slow down. He is always giving 100% effort. And I have a lot of respect for that. I, I feel like he's one of those guys that he's hot or he's cold. There's not a lot of in between with him. And when he's hot, he's really hot. And when he's cold, he's really cold. But either way, he is going to go out there and he is going to play his heart out. And I have a lot of respect for that. And I really, I feel like that's something that we need more of. Um, specifically Blazers, we need more of that. We've seen some kind of, there are times where there are certain players that I feel like they forgot that they're in a competitive basketball game. Like they, they're taking a break or playing like a, you know, pickup game. It feels like sometimes the, the lack of energy. Um, and I don't say that to be critical. I, I, again, I know that there can be a million things going on, but there are times where you watch that team and you think, what, where is the energy here? What is happening? What is going on here? And so I'll give that to Russ. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Well, and you're not alone in that. Coach Billups has at least three or four times in 15 games used that exact word in critiquing yeah. his team. And in a sense, I think that's true because that's, this is part of Portland's MO, that they do kind of come out just to play and see what happens. And then when they see a way they can affect what happens, they tend to turn it up. But they're, they're not the t- type usually to come out and take the bull by the horns, take a game over, right? Yeah, they're not, they're not running off the dock and cannonballing into the lake. They're dipping their toes. They're checking the temperature. They're going to see where, where they go from here. I, I, I definitely think that's the case with them. Well, they're just sure. hanging out. I mean, they're just, they do, kind of. And... That's that's part of the culture, and it's part of the habits of the individual players. As it's, it's what I said in preseason. When you watch Larry Nance Jr., he doesn't have that. He right. operates in a different gear than everybody else. Yep. And you hope that he would influence the Blazers toward his style of play more than he would assimilate into the environment and lose it, right? Still don't know which one of those is going to happen. But here's the other thing, though. Energy needs a direction, in order to be effective. You can't just throw energy into a void and have no feedback and then be expected to keep giving it, okay? We all know this in business situations. You need a good, you know, whatever, chain of command. You need good feedback on your actions so you can see how what you're giving out changes the environment around you. The Blazers don't have that right now. So I think that that is a critical gap And part of it is adjusting to a new coach, a new system, whether Coach Billups can even give them that appropriately. We don't know. We don't know a lot about his coaching ability or whatever yet. Uh, he's, He's coached for 15 games. But also, it's not that the system keeps changing. Their approach to games keeps changing. They'll run three or four screens, and then they won't. When they get behind, they change from ball movement to ISO. Sometimes the first unit will come out and play a certain way, usually flat, and the second unit will come in and really pick it up and play a completely different way. And 
so whatever you're giving out into that system just is not getting real consistent feedback. Uh, I, I assume the coach is doing it verbally because that's his job, but on the court, you're not seeing energy A leading to result B often enough and in the same way enough, I think, to where you get people comfortable uh, putting out that energy all the time or conditioned to put out that energy. They need to see more success on individual plays, more consistency of style, and really more victories in addition to just saying, you guys got to put in more energy. Because I bet there are some of them who are going, excuse me, I'm putting up as much en- putting out as much energy as I can individually. It is not doing anything yeah it's it's a weird place and and it's it's resulting in a 500 record basically i mean we're close to that we're we're every time we do this podcast (laughs) it seems like we've had two wins and two losses and this week is no different we had a loss in houston i mean a loss in phoenix a win in houston which finally broke the um curse Thank you. Uh, then we had a bad loss to the Nuggets without Dame. And then we came back home and we won against the Raptors. It's created this weird, you know, back and forth. And it's interesting because if you look at our home record versus our away record, our games at home, we're winning. We've only lost one game at home. We've only won one game on the road. So it's very interesting how that's happening. I'm glad we finally got a win on the road, at least. That's that's a start. Even then, we're not playing the same road. No. Way, way on the road or at home. No. Game to game. You just never know what you're going to get. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe that's a good thing because the opponents don't really know <laughs> how to come at us. But the problem is we don't really seem to know what we're doing either. Yeah, so and the it, opponents don't care. I guarantee you. They don't that and that's the problem. The Blazers have a really hard time making the opponents care what they do because one commonality is the defense has been pretty bad. I, I, I looked after the what was it? After the loss to Denver, maybe? I don't know, or something over the weekend. Maybe it was a victory. Either way. Everybody in the, at the beginning of the season was going, oh, they're 11th in defensive efficiency or whatever it is, or 12th or whatever it was. 12th best defense in the league. Okay, just stop that after like seven games. That's not even a sample. Okay, but yeah. we've had 15, which is pretty close to 20% of the season. Still not a sufficient sample, but it's closer. And the Blazers are 20th in defensive efficiency. They were something like 21st or 22nd in overall field goal percentage allowed, which is a metric I like to look at. Because, I mean, obviously, part of the key to good defense, if you're not fouling all over the place or turning over the ball a ton, is just stopping stopping them from through. How many times did they miss uh, as a percentage? But the Blazers were also like 26th or something in three-point percentage allowed. That's not good. That's not good no. in today's NBA. So, I mean, they, they haven't played defense in a way that's recognizably consistent it, it, from quarter to quarter, possession to possession, let alone game to game. And you need way more than game to game. You need month to month on defense. That's the goal. And they're, they're not even at game to game yet. So that's, that's part of the reason for the up and down is because if you cannot defend anybody, then you're really dependent on how good they're feeling on that night. You don't get to control the game nearly as much. And if they're hot, if they're on, or even as we saw against Phoenix, if one player's on, the Blazers won that Phoenix game, except for Frank Kaminsky. And Frank Kaminsky butchered him with a career high of 30-something point. I mean, it was an ungodly amount. And it, it took one player, one player to turn Dang that it, game. Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Frank Kaminsky was Kevin Durant on that night, literally. Uh, this is the problem when you can't defend. You're vulnerable to those things happening. And you've got to hope... I mean, there, there's not just one way you can get beat. There are six ways you can get beat. Everybody everybody gets hot. The team gets hot from three-point land. One player gets hot. You, it's just you're dependent on other people. So that's I think that's part of the explanation for what's going on here. It's so hard to have an explanation because it seems like game after game after game, there's a different explanation I don't know if what we're seeing is just an inexperienced coach. I don't know if it's a change in coaching staff. I don't know if it's a combination of those things and, you know, the slow start that Dane's having and whatever else. I feel like there are so many factors here that are just all seemingly creating this situation. Sure. It's the same. We should be better than this. It's the same ones though. They're too short and, at least two of their players in the starting lineup are not defenders. 
and Yusuf Nurkic turns on and off. And by the yeah. way, you're not feeding him the ball. Uh, and, oh, by the way, also, Nurkic got 18 minutes against Toronto. And I thought actually he played pretty well in those 18 minutes. He and Larry Nance Jr. were the revelations that night. But he got 18 minutes. And that probably wasn't an accident. And it may not have been an accident no. that Larry Nance Jr. also blossomed <laughs> when Nurkic played less. It's ill-fitting. There's too many ways the Blazers can get beat. They can get beat by drivers. They can get beat by shooters. They can get beat by tall people. So, I mean, <laughs> which is a problem in the NBA yeah, a little bit because you <laughs> there's can a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, the team's going to have probably some of those things, and you want to be less vulnerable against some of them at least. At least if your team is tall, you're going to have an advantage. Or if you are blocking, you know, if you're, if you're, we struggle with the three point line, we can't seem to protect three point. We also can't protect the rim. Like there's just so many things that we're not protecting. And it's just, yeah. The thing is that we can, we can do those things, but seemingly not all together. Every now and then we'll do them all together and it looks great. And it's a game that you love watching. And if you feel good about it and you walk away from it thinking, man, this is this could be a good team. The problem is we're not doing that consistently. And we're not doing all those things all the time. And even when we're doing all those things, we're still short. And there's nothing we can do about that. Right. Although I did see this commercial for these things you can put in your shoes that give you like four inches. And I'm just saying it might be worth a try. The Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels approach. You don't get that reference, but people out there will. Anyway. <laughs> So, look, there was one game that stood out, though, really. I mean, the, the, Phoenix, the Phoenix loss, I think, was somewhat significant in that they knew what Kaminsky was doing, and he did it the whole game. Like, stop a guy. Stop that guy. That's, that's the thing. Stop that guy. <laughs> and they didn't. I mean, it was pretty obvious, the job description. Okay, so that was frustrating. The Houston win, I mean, yes, that's good. Obviously, it would have been a disaster had they lost it. But Houston is like tutorial mode, I said in the recap. It's tutorial mode on 2K. Uh, you, you shouldn't you lose that. You're like my first game. Uh, so, I would lose that for the record. Yeah, if but, I were to play 2K, I would. I would yeah, but you might be I able to beat the Rockets. I'm not sure. So I don't think so. <laughs> No. <laughs> not not with my video game inabilities. But you know what? The Rockets were like young pups in that game. They were pouring out the energy. You could see the difference. You got to respect that a little bit and go, oh, can we siphon off a little bit of that? But also keep in mind, again, this team is now led by players in their 30s, not in their 20s. They're not 25 yeah. anymore. I know we've got some younger players there, but, but Rockets win, sure. But the Denver loss. I think that shocked everybody because I was among the people, really? by the way. Oh, yeah. I was among the people who thought, well, Dame's been hobbled and Dame's been a guy that you can't ignore on the floor and has kind of been in half mode, right? Half, half Dame. So with him off the floor, this will be a chance for everybody to pick it up and show what they can do, right? And okay. there's enough other shooting and talent and whatever. Now, I'm... I, might have quibbled a little bit with putting Anthony Simons in the starting lineup, although all credit to him. You know I love his game and what he's done this year. But that just re kind of repeated the thing about, you know, although I guess, do they have another point guard? I get it. But in retrospect, it seems like maybe going with CJ Norm and Nasir Little might have been a better idea. But anyway, forget that. That they just came out and had nothing. They had, they just got dominated. And Yes, Nikola Jokic is part of that. And yes, he's been doing that to tons of teams. But you want to at least see some fight, something going on there. And they'd, I think among a lot of analysts, local and national, Jaws just dropped seeing that. Like, wow, with a capital N-W. Wow. Uh, it's been a long time since we've seen a team that's been decent come out like that. Now, to their credit, they made it up against Toronto, uh, and I actually kind of liked that game. I liked the spirit of that game. I think they yeah. they did pull it together, full marks to them for rebounding in that way. They still kind of struggled with it at the end, but I thought that that game was as close as any to a normal-looking win as they've had, so good job. But that Denver thing, I think, was a, a microcosm of everything that this team has suffered from this season, and... It's just, it's like being sick. Like you think you're over it and then boom, here it comes again. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I really expected them to lose the Denver game, honestly. I, I mean, we struggled on the road. Dame was hurt. And, and even when Dame's hurt and playing, there's something about having Dame on the court. I don't know. I mean, we've seen in the past when he hasn't been able to play and the guys have rallied and they've played better without him. So, so I do, there's obviously that side of it that you kind of hope to see, but it was Denver. It was an away game, which we have not been doing well with. Dame was hurt. I, I fully expected that loss. I was not surprised by that at all. I guess I didn't uh, expect um, to win necessarily, but I expected you something. You didn't expect it to be that bad. There wasn't something more than right. that. I mean, there was just, right. it was like nothing was going on in that game. I don't have high expectations at this point um, until some things change. So I guess that plays a part in that. I do think that the Raptors game was interesting because it started out slow and they seemed to struggle a little at the beginning. And it was like at some point a switch got flipped and the energy just kicked it up. And as soon as that energy kicked up, they started playing better. And that should be a little bit of a clue here that, you know, and I, and I have a hunch that that might be contributing to why they're playing better at home than they significantly better at home than they are on the road. I think, you know, that energy that, that they get in the Moda center with the fans there, especially after, you know, last year, not having a full, a full stadium full of fans and not having that full support. I think there's something about that energy. You know, you watch CJ last night, CJ was just, he was just having a ball and you can see it in the pictures. You can see it in his highlights. He was just having a blast and it paid off. And, and I think, you know, to me, I want to see these guys come out with that kind of energy every single night. And I know that it's been a rough schedule. I know they've had a lot of hard teams back to back, a lot of road games. I know they travel a lot more than anybody else in the league. I get it. I understand that. And I, that's fair, but also like if they could come out with that same energy, I feel like that would that in and of itself will improve their game. Even if they're not hitting more shots, even if they're hitting the exact same amount of shots that they're that they're hitting right now, if they have that kind of energy, their defense is going to be they're going to be moving more, they're going to be in, it's just going to feel better. Um, you know, throughout the season, they've had good shots. They just the ball is not going in. You know, they they're I feel like they're taking pretty good shots overall. There's not a lot of shots where I'm like, oh, that was a terrible shot. Most of them are pretty good shots. They're just not going in. And that happens. And I get that. But then make up for it in things like defense. We, we you gotta make up for it somewhere. If if the ball is not going in the basket, then what can you do to win? What else can you do? And and so that's that is a big thing to me. But I will say this. I feel like coming off of a coming off the road trip where they finally got a win, having this homestead here where they're going to be, you know, at home for a little while. They had a really good win and and they say that's a tough win coming back home, you know, the first the first game back at home after a road trip is a tough is a tough game. So they came out, they won that. The Raptors are a decent team. It's not like it was a, you know, giveaway. And and they did it. So I'm hoping that that energy continues to build. I'm hoping that they continue to to do better and and we we keep up that momentum going into the next road trip. Yeah, keep in mind with that defense thing or do something else play defense. It's like we say, defense doesn't raise your ceiling as much as it raises your floor. It keeps you from falling, from bottoming right. out when you right. when you aren't hitting. The Blazers, their floor is is way in the sub basement at this point. Like, and that's that also is why the variance. Because I think you know this is oversimplified, but when you have a range of possible outcomes, most of them usually end up in the middle. That's the bell curve, right? Yep. And if your floor is way down in the sub basement, it almost doesn't matter if your ceiling is at the roof you're going to end up in the middle somewhere, right? You got to to either raise that ceiling, which is really difficult, or raise the floor. So then your middle becomes at the three-quarter mark, and they don't have the capability of doing that right now. But I should say also, the thing that picked up the energy wasn't a mystery in that Toronto game. It was literally the bench, and this isn't the first time that it's happened. This season, again and again, the second units come in, 
when the starters have been flat and lifted them up. And Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, obviously, uh, on Monday against Toronto, it was Larry Nance Jr., which is one of the first times we've seen him be fully armed and operational. And it was yep. it was night and day different. And then the starters picked up on that. But that's yep. almost shocking because it's been the inverse in Portland for Ever, right. Right. You and I right. have talked about that ad nauseum. Yep. And now yep. all of a sudden the bench is saving games that the starters are trying to give away. Yeah, it, it's honestly great. It's fantastic to see that from the bench. And one of the lineups, the lineup that I loved seeing the most with that Toronto game was Dame, CJ, Norm, Larry Nance Jr. and Nasir Little. I, again, it's the three guard lineup, which I'm iffy about, but with that team, it worked. You know, we didn't, we, we were able to play small ball. It was okay. We were able to do that. And they, they played, they played really well together and it was a fun lineup to watch. You know, Nasir Little has been significantly better than, than, you know, as the year has gone by, he just, it seems like he, the year has gone by, we've been, we're 15 games in, but as we've progressed in the season, um, he's getting better and better. It seems like Larry Nance Jr. I think is going to be one of those guys that maybe becomes even more of a key to this team than we expected. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really nice seeing that bench come out and perform. I actually almost feel relieved seeing the bench, whereas I used to just kind of brace myself. So that's that's really nice to see. We've got, man, there there's some depth there as far as that goes. Now, if we can just get it all together and get those starters to pick up their game and get back to where we're used to them, we, we might have a fighting chance at something here. Well, and the bench has definite qualities. One of them might be adaptability because none of them have played, well, Nance Jr. has, but at least Little and Simons weren't playing big time before, and so they're able to to meld their game into what's expected. I think also they have defined athleticism, and so does Nance Jr., and really the starting lineup kind of doesn't. Now, the starting lineup has talent to burn, okay? Nobody's saying that they aren't. And obviously, they're athletic because NBA players are. But in the pantheon right. Right. in the pantheon of athletic players, I mean, guys like Damian Lillard, even C.J. McCollum, Norman Powell, Yusuf Nurkic, Robert Covington, none of them particularly stand out as super quick. None of them are super big. Uh, none of them are super strong. You know, there's none of them. None of them can jump out of the gym. All of them can do stuff, but it's kind of like average, you know. Yeah. Whereas you get the those three bench players, and each of them has a little something. In addition, by the way, to being young and fully right. able to call on that something instinctively and all the time. And I think this is where age will affect the Blazers somewhat, because that's always been true. But the Blazers, you know, when they were. 27 when they were 25 could go 100% of whatever they had for longer right and now if you look on the floor you're just not not getting 100% Dame you're not getting 100% CJ you're not getting 100% Nurk even uh, and he's younger but has had lots of injuries you know you're just not getting them amped up all the way all the time mental emotional possibly but also I think physical I mean you just when you're 30 you, you start picking your spots and they are but the problem is when you're picking your spots when you're average, what's the spot that you're not picking? <laughs> you know, if, if you're great at something or if you're hyper athletic, you pick your spots to be either hyper athletic or normal athletic. When you start normal athletic, when you pick your spot, it's well less than normal. And that's right. where I think that they start getting beat off the opponent's first step. They don't make the rotations, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's there's a lot going on. There's just a lot going on. You know, we, we're hearing complaints. Dame has been complaining about the refing. Uh, maybe I should say he's been outspoken about the refing and the new rules. I do think that, you know, making those adjustments is going to take time for some of these guys. I, I think that's not a quick thing. It, it takes anything like that when you're used to doing things one way, takes adjusting. What do you think about all that, Dave? The officiating? I like the way. Yeah, and then the new rules and things like that. And yeah. Yeah. The I like the way the game's being officiated better this year. I like the elimination of that kind of hunting for the three point shot. You know, as soon as you feel someone hit you, you throw it up and it has very little right. chance of going in. So, but I also acknowledge that Dame kind of 
generated extra points on that. And that was always, you know, that was part of what made him a threat from 26 feet. Right. Was that that might happen and why you couldn't stay up on him. Well, and with Dame, he's not just throwing it up randomly. Dame would make those shots. You know, yes and no. I mean, here's the thing is like, think of it like this. There are two ways Dame can score from out there last year. If you back off him, he can make that shot. But if you get up on him, if he can move and make you bump him and then throw it up and get those three free throws, that's as good as a three-point shot. So, in effect, you couldn't really play up on him really tight because that was probably going to happen to you or happen to you enough to where, you A, you'd get fouls, and B, he'd get the points anyway. So there was some uh, incentive to stay back and not draw that right. foul. But when you stay back, he hits the shot. Right, right. This year... I think everybody knows now Steph Curry is still doing okay, but I think everybody knows that Dame is capable. So you've got that. There's more incentive to be able to play up closer to him out there because you're not getting those same kind of fouls called. There's that. And also the new system isn't as amenable to that. There's that. So those three things are conspiring against one of the things that made Dame Dame logo Lillard, right? So that part of his game has been nerfed a little bit. And he hasn't quite found... Now, he's found bursts at the Toronto game. I think they cheesed him off, or the refs cheesed him off. And he made a couple of drives that were spectacular. But we're not getting that all the time either. But I'm not sure that's entirely a refing thing. It is, because it takes away one of his weapons. But it doesn't feel like he's adjusted to that weapon being gone yet. He's still reaching for that holster, and it's empty. And yeah, that's frustrating. But you got to adjust and do something else. And he's not the only one. Trey Young is having these problems. But yeah, he's missing a lot of free throws. I will say, too, the other thing the refs got to get rid of, the NBA's got to get rid of, is that transition foul. That it's automatic now that when teams get a fast break, players aren't even running. They're just turning to commit the foul. That's literally turning around 180 degrees and grabbing someone to prevent the fast break. You know why? That may be smart. But it's no fun, and it takes no, away not. one of the neatest things about basketball. Yes. So I think we're going to see like a New York Knicks, Miami Heat. When remember the Pat Riley days when and the Detroit Pistons when they would just club people, and the NBA <laughs> changed its rule. I think they're going to change the rule slightly here too to make the fast break uh, more viable again. Yeah, I mean, there's, it seems like there's a lot of changes. You know, we're hearing stuff about the ball, which actually is kind of an interesting thing. I think worth mentioning. You know, I keep hearing bits and pieces about the ball and how the ball is having, you know, for those of you listening who who have not heard us talk about this before, the league made a change this year with with the basketballs that they use. And they're different. It's a different brand. The ball is different slightly. And there have been players that have publicly said it it impacts their shooting. Um, You know, the league percentage is down, I think, like three percent or something like that, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's significant. So I I got to watching the game um, on Monday and and I was curious about it. And so I've mentioned here before, I think that I work, my my full-time job is working for Josh Childress, who is a retired NBA player. He played for several years, a long, successful career in the NBA. And I texted him and said, hey, I'm curious about this ball thing. Can you tell me how much accuracy there is to this? Like, is this an actual Cause I, I played basketball casually, but I don't know enough. I mean, I, I pick up a ball, a ball is a ball. And he said, you know, I, I'm a photographer. That's what I do. I, I shoot for him. I, I photograph for him. And um, he said, imagine if you shot Canon for 10 years. That was what you shot, Canon camera for 10 years. And then you went to an event and someone handed you an icon and said, okay, I want you to shoot the event with this. He said, you could do it because you know you know, how a camera works, you know, the photography, whatever, but it would be hard. It would be harder to get the results you wanted. You'd have to work harder to get the results. It would take some adjusting. You maybe wouldn't do it the same way you would. You wouldn't have quite the same success. I don't remember exactly how he said it, but that's basically how he broke it down. And I thought, you know, that's a really good way of looking at it. You can still do what you do, but it's an adjustment. And apparently it is actually an adjustment. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit as i've heard people talking about this i was curious like are these people that are just kind of making excuses are these people that are really like what's going on here so from someone who is no longer affected by it according to him it it really is a thing so 
any that was playground hack could have told you that Spalding is way better than Wilson. But I mean, I, I watch those guys week after week because he plays pickup ball with his friends, and I I shoot that, and I watch them week after week go through the balls and pick which ball they're going to use, and it is process. It is not just a grab a ball and shoot it. Yeah, I mean, the teams have to agree on it, I believe, in the NBA, too. Like, they choose one, and then the opposing team gets, you know, point guard or whatever. Captain gets to dribble it and feel it and say, yeah, that one's okay. And how much the ball is inflated matters, and how much the rings are tightened matters. There's a lot of things that go into it, and it's very precise at that level. Do you Have you heard of uh, Lethal Shooter? He's a shooting coach. He coaches a lot of guys in the NBA, and he's also a very good shooter. He does all these kind of trick things and whatever. And mm-hmm. um, he was saying on his pocket, on his pockets, <laughs> on his podcast, Certified Buckets is their podcast. And and he was talking about how uh, when he was in college, I think it was college, he had a ball that worked really well for him. And so game after game after game, he would somehow manage to get that ball into the ref's hands and play with that ball. And he's convinced that that's part of why his stats were as good as they were. And like, you know that there's something to that. Yeah. Uh, the only asterisk to it is, well, okay, granted, but everybody's shooting with the same ball. It doesn't, it isn't like Dame gets a different ball. And right. I, I guess part of it is, okay, you forget because Dame makes it look easy. But right. hitting a 30-foot shot in the NBA is no small feat. That's actually a right. very, very hard thing to do. And obviously, yeah. the longer the shot, the smaller margin for error. If the ball is introducing a margin of error, it's going to affect Dame more than it's going to affect someone who's dunking it, obviously. And then right. you can extrapolate between the two distances. Right. That's it. Look, mid-range shots are going in. CJ McCollum looks okay. Right. So there is a limit to that explanation, but it's probably, yes, I would agree it's probably there. And let's put it this way. This is one thing Dame doesn't need to be worrying about. There are plenty of other things for him to worry about. The ball is just like at two brute, really, that's, you know. Yeah, it's it's obviously you can't blame things on the ball because you're right. Everybody's making that adjustment. I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing because when I first heard that, I thought, wow, that's I would have never thought that. And so I just hearing, you know, that kind of that it was that was interesting to me. Dame's dealing with a lot right now. Obviously, he is also dealing with an injury. Um, we've I, he came out after the last game in, in the post game chats, media availability, not chats. <laughs> My brain's not as sharp as I thought it would be at this time, Dave. That's OK. Um, chats on Twitter, media availability in the in the clubhouse. Yes. And said that this is an injury he's been dealing with for three to four seasons. Mm -hmm. This is not a new injury. It's something he he has dealt with for a long time. um, And it has just continued to get re-aggravated, you know, here and there. Um, Which kind of is mind-blowing. If you think about how well he's played over the last three or four seasons, can you imagine if he wasn't dealing with that injury, where he would be at? That that is a mind-blowing thought. Although... Maybe that's why he pulls up for 30-footers, because like, ah, oh, I'm not going to drive 30 feet farther if I can just hit from <laughs> here. But yeah, and, and of course, exacerbated, I'm sure, by the Olympics, which, I, I, again, I'm happy he did it, but yeah. that often takes a toll. Short, se- short off-season, okay, not helping. I mean, there are just so many things that aren't helping right now. And Dame has been fairly Teflon. He hasn't needed the help. But now all of a sudden, in the one season and situation where apparently he does, literally none of it's there. New coach, new ball, new rules, <laughs> new offseason, new things he did during the offseason, shooting movies, going to the Olympics. It's, it's a lot, right? Yeah. And, and perhaps new expectations. I mean, look, I mean, who knows? Again, that cloud that followed the Blazers into the season. You can say all you want that it doesn't matter, and maybe it doesn't, but... This is not carefree. They are not playing carefree here. They're not playing like, you know, okay, well, we'll get it. We'll get it. They're playing more like, wow, if we don't get it, what happens? And that might be in Dame's mind as well. I mean, who knows? We can't read it. He can't say it. But there's just a different vibe around this season right now. It's it's a black cloud over the team. And that also is not helping, you know, it's like there's just literally nowhere for Dame to turn except maybe, God bless, I hope he's having a great home life, enjoying his children, enjoying his new marriage. I hope that's going right for him because all of this other stuff that has always automatically gone right just kind of isn't. 
I still think he'll get there. I think it's just a matter of time. And, and you know, honestly, I think a lot of the team will get there. I, I think it's coming. I just keep holding out hope. And, you know, again, uh, and this is something we're going to come to here in a minute. There's been a lot of turmoil. And I'm sure that that as well is, you know, there things are just, there's unrest. And that's just one more obstacle, essentially, in, in dealing with all this. With that, well, I mean, you know, let's let's unpack it just a little bit more if we could, because okay. I was just thinking, well, what else? Yeah. of Nurkic, expiring contract and still isn't happy with his role, and rightfully so. I mean, sometimes he's getting two, three shots a game. And I'm not saying he automatically deserves more, but you can see for him from his point of view, look, this is my contract year. And also, I've proven for you guys. I mean, do you remember Nurk fever? Do you remember all that? Do you remember 2019? Do you remember yeah. the preseason when this very coach was saying I was going to be a central point in the offense and a key to this team? And now all of a sudden I'm getting 18 minutes or three shots a game. Uh, okay, unrest. Uh, Robert Covington has not seemed to adapt. Maybe he shouldn't because you know what? He's been around. This is what? Team five for him? I don't look it up. Four or five. He came in last year. He did pretty good. But now there's a new coach. Again, new set of expectations, new system. And he is also on an expiring contract. Is he going to be here next year? I mean, who knows? But probably not given the financial situation, let alone his own desire. So there's unrest there. There's some kind of, you know, there's just, it's not the same as being solid. Anthony Simons was not extended, but he's doing okay. But, you know, he too, entering restricted free agency. But that's there's turmoil there. This team is a lot more unsettled than it has been at any time in the past forever. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's different. And I think that they're just having trouble settling in. Yeah, you're right. There's things that are unsettled across the board. And until some of those things start to settle down, I feel like we're going to keep seeing this. The good news is I think that they will. Now, obviously, some of it won't right away or anytime soon, maybe. But there are going to be things that are going to come to an end, that are going to settle, that are going to, you know, allow the team to kind of find a, a comfortable resting place for now. Chris McGowan. McGowan is correct. He is going. <laughs> he is. Uh, he has retired. Uh, he's quit as the president of. Or the, it's not. That's not his official title. Yeah, he's a CEO and president of business operations, I believe. Yeah, as opposed so, to basketball operations. He has. He has retired. Quit. Whatever it is that he's that that we're calling it. His contract was going to be up anyway, but um, you know he's he's obviously given his resignation a little early. So um, that's going on. It was not the news we kind of expected, according to him and and you know the news outlets that are reporting on this. It is not directly related to the Olshay investigation. This was set to happen you know, a couple months ago, I guess. This was already in talks. It just hadn't been announced yet. So <laughs> maybe. Um, what was that? Yeah, exactly. Keep going. <laughs> um, so, I, and, and I believe that, you know, from everything that I have uh, heard, from everything I've seen, he's a stand-up guy. Uh, I always want to stress that we don't want to assume things or people being involved in things that we don't know. I would encourage people not to assume that he's involved with the stuff that Neil's being investigated for unless that becomes, you know, out there. I, I don't think that's it. I would guess that this has a lot more to do with just dealing with all this stuff and, and it's gotta be exhausting to be in that position. So, okay. Is the McGowan resignation directly 100% a result of the Neil Olshay investigation? Probably not. Was this a contributing factor Possibly. Is Neil Olshay, but in what sense? Is Neil Olshay a contributing factor? Probably. And here's the deal. Uh, the Chris McGowan I know, which we've only, I, I know, we've interacted some remotely. And I, I know of him through various people, you know. So, look, people, people leave an imprint, right? People leave a shape. Neil Olshay has left a very definite imprint, I think, that most of the public sees. Chris McGowan was not as publicly uh, visible, but also has left an imprint. And that imprint is basically solid guy, very competent, uh, ambitious in wanting to help the franchise grow in its marketing arm and reach. 
pretty straight-laced, professional. You know, this is, this is the guy, for instance, who would have seen Mike and Mike, who were beloved broadcasters, and, and, and probably thought they were beloved broadcasters too, but also saw Kevin Calabro, who is polished and professional and widely respected. And saw, you know what, if it's time to make a change, this is the kind of change I want to make. Literally the standard, the, the standard for, for being well-known, also standard for professionalism, just everything smooth. A much more L.A. kind of polished deal than Portland folksy. And this is kind of McGowan's trademark, I think. Growing the Blazers into being a big-person franchise, into an adult franchise, Right. And I think he accomplished a lot of that. And I think he accomplished that in a way that made people feel secure and that made people feel valued and that basically was very amenable and approachable. He was, as you say, a good guy. That's not a moral judgment, but like interacting with him. Like, yeah, no, this is good. This is good. The organization, it has become clear, especially since the passing of Paul Allen, but even before that somewhat, is not that type of environment entirely. Now, Mr. McGowan did not cite any of that. Mr. McGowan, I have no, we have not talked uh, personally, interpersonally about this. So I do not claim in any way to be speaking for him or reporting on him. But if I had to guess, I would say that, yeah, at a certain point, being the good professional guy in an organization that's kind of chaotic and in some corners, neither good nor very professional, and also... Having constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, I don't know constantly, but at least at the beginning, there was definite tension. You could see it in the initial press conference between the two heads of the organization. And the chain of command has never been real solid. I mean, there's this Vulcan thing up there with people. And then there was Paul Allen. He was a person, a center of power. And then there's Jody Allen, who knows who she is. There's, There's a void. There's a vacuum. And it's kind of like we were talking about on the court. How do you pour energy in without getting the feedback? How do you pour energy in without getting the reward? And I think McGowan got some rewards in in his sphere. But I don't think organizationally, there was a lot of great reflection uh, on what he gave. You know, That, that, that would be my guess. And so I don't believe that he stormed off in a huff and said, yeah, Neil Olshay is being investigated. I'm leaving. Right. But my guess is, you know what? There are other opportunities. There are other places. I've had a great run here. I've done what I set out to do. And there's no particular reason for me to keep going here, given all this. That right. there there are probably better positions. I hate to say it, but there might be better organizations right now to work for. And I have the capability of doing that, so I'm going to go do that. Well, and he also said that he's his plan is to leave the NBA. He's not planning to stay in the NBA you know he's he's done this for a while and and he's ready to move on to something new so um you know the, there's with all the turmoil that's happened even just over the last 6 months it's a lot that's a lot to take on and a lot to have to deal with and and there's got to come a point where you just don't want to do it anymore here's the so. issue though let's assume there is kind of a control alt delete reboot here, which there's going to be at this point if Olshay leaves, because that's their two top executives within a month. You need some institutional stability, and you don't especially want to lose the good guys. You know what I mean? Right. You don't want to use, yeah. lose the good guys in the turmoil. You'd prefer to, yeah. to lose the people who are at the center of the turmoil. Right. And you try not to do both. And the Blazers kind of have. Now, Dwayne Haskins, I think, will be good. I mean, I, I, everything I've seen of him, and I've had less interaction with him than with Mr. McGowan, but I think, I, I think actually he he's, has a chance to be really, really, really good. The thing is, is he starting a negative 5,000 elevation and having to dig his way out? Where's his, where are his feet going to be planted to, to get that start and to grow into the executive that he's going to be? Again, I mean, a complete blue screen reboot isn't necessarily the best way or place to do that. And there are things that the Blazers yet need to fix about their public relations, about their marketing, about their everything. And it's just like, it's really hard to think about that kind of stuff when you're just, you're organizationally doing damage control. But that appears to be where they are right now. And so 
I don't know. I, I am at a loss here. Usually, I yeah. can I can see a way forward that makes sense, and I have reasonable hope that they could find it. Right now, they're in a spot where this is just a mess, and they're not easily yeah. going to find their way out of this. I'm afraid this is going to be a thing that quietly is going to take years yeah. to rebuild out of, and it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point. Yeah, we're in a different kind of rebuild than I anticipated. You know, I, I, I think we all kind of expected that there was going to be a rebuild of, of the roster at some point because Dame is not eternally young. Um, and there's going to come a point where even if he finishes his career in Portland, they have to rebuild. So I think we all kind of expected that. But to see this happening is is a little surprising um, and and tiring. It's tiring. I agree with you. You know, uh, my biggest fear when I heard that he was retiring was that we are going to lose the good ones instead of or along with the not so good ones. And, you know, you don't want to see that happen. So I don't know. I don't know, Dave. I, I hope that we see good change moving forward. And, and really, that's that's all I got. That's that's all the hope I got right now. The sad part for me, and again, I'm holding back comment until we've heard all the stories and we probably until we see some kind of resolution. I definitely have things to say about this, but I don't feel yeah. it's my place to step in the middle of this until we know more about it. And by the way, that's the difference between this. We were talking off air, so to speak. Yeah, we were obviously we had things to say and still have things to say about the Chauncey Billups hiring. But the critical difference in that is that was 20 years ago. The voices have been heard. The stuff is out there. We're not taking anybody's place by offering commentary or advocating for people, whatever, right? That's that the, the people most concerned have been heard from. Right. That's not true necessarily in this. We still don't know the extent of this. And until we do, it feels somewhat inappropriate to render judgment. Although, although I think I, I already had leanings in terms of uh, how this should go for Neil Olshay, but that was well before this happened. And some of this stuff was obvious. I can't believe that it's taken people this long to, to, to figure it out. But be that as it may, um, I think silence is... is the better part for right now and, and processing this along with everybody else. But I will say this, that the potential has been there in Portland and is there that I've dealt with people throughout the various levels of the Blazers organization in various ways and almost to a person. They've been amazing. I mean, they're dedicated, wonderful people who really enjoy the idea of working for this community icon and really enjoy the excitement of being part of this NBA basketball process and really enjoy being part of a place with the same name that Damian Lillard wears on his uniform, that kind of thing, you know? And it would be a shame and would be a shame to see that spirit leach out because down at the grassroots level, this organization has been sparkly. I mean, it's, it's been, I, I'm, I'm scratching my head trying to think of a single person I've interacted with who hasn't had energy and joy and just excitement. And I think that if the Blazers could harness and tap that, it's there. It just seems yeah. like the gap between the power or powers, including ownership, but maybe also high executives, as we're finding out, and the grassroots has been wide and not bridged very well. And I think one of the first things the Blazers will want to do is repair that. Yeah, there, there's a lot going forward. At this point, I'm just hopeful that there will be good resolution. I don't have a lot more than that, honestly, as far as that's concerned. It's, it's, it's hard for me to, to say much more about it. I just... Yes. I mean, and that I think that's appropriate. I mean, look, uh, I'll be honest. There are people pinging my email with like, say something or why don't you do this or why don't you advocate that or what's going on? And it's like, well, you know, there, yeah. will, be, there will be a time and place. And, I, you yeah. know, I do have thoughts, but I think I just think that's appropriate right now. So, so hold yeah, on, everybody. Hold on and let's see together. I don't think it's possible to have great pronouncements right now. 
Right. Let's, let's get closer to the cusp of some kind of resolution decision, or at least, again, hearing from the voices that matter most. Right. And let's not fill that with our presumptions before we hear more about the truth of the situation. Yeah, I think that's always the best way to go is is let people speak for themselves. And, you know, this is obviously being heavily investigated. It's it's being well, we heavily hope looked. we actually don't know that. I mean, yes, we well, presume okay. from the reports. I'll say I'll say that I'm assuming that based on the caliber of company that is, you know, a firm that is investigating it based on the bits of information that we're getting. So yeah, you're right. I I say that in the sense that it's not the investigation that Neil had done, you know, from the guy that ended up being a, a, yeah. And, And let's, let's, it's not flippant. That's, this is exactly why there will need to be some vetting of this vetting, <laughs> you know, that, that, right. that right. if the Blazers want to have any good PR. Now, it's one thing, okay, if they quietly resolve it and Neil goes, then that's, I think, less important probably because they they, they will have said, you know, there was something there. It rises above our level of tolerance. We've resolved it this way, end of story. And everybody goes, okay, we don't need to know exactly what was wrong. If it's taken care of, so be it. But if they, in any way, try to retain him, they are going to have to make public, for the very reason you cited, the details of some of this. It will not rest or should not rest unless that happens. We need to know what, and I don't mean like outing people's specific accusations, maybe, but like the, the process. Who did it? Who did they talk to? somewhat what was discovered in general and why do you think it didn't lead to the level of a dismissal and i don't yeah. again the, the the employees need to be able to speak with some reasonable expectation of privacy i get that but we need to know in general what's the category of stuff that was alleged and found and why is that not credible or why is that not important there's gonna have to be some justification there i think if that's what happens if this all resolves and he maintains his job, then I will have some things to say. But until we get to that point, uh, I think I'm just going to hope that this is done well and leave it at that. Just as long as, I mean, there's no under the rug here. There's no water bottle glance that is going to take care of this this time. I mean, we we played that card. And uh, by the way, it was terrible then. We wrote about that. To then repeat that, kind of process would be a slap in the face to everyone, everyone in this fan base, everyone who has any concerns for the vulnerable, everyone who wants to look at this organization and see that logo and have it be relatively unsullied. You cannot do that same process that same way again, because it's just it's just a big middle finger to all of us. And you know what, at this point, I don't think that people are willing to be quiet about that. I don't have anything else. Uh, I do get to one of the things that I like to do that I really, that's kind of a fun part of, you know, my other job is I get to shoot G league games. Um, If you're not familiar with that G league is the league that, you know, how do you explain the G league? It's the, um, it's the, the alternate league where people who are hopeful of making the NBA or distinguishing themselves in professional basketball get to play in the United States. And right. many teams, teams are affiliated with uh, actual NBA teams. So each NBA yes. team can see it, send certain members of its squad to their G League team. But also other players get to play as well. Yeah. So it's competitive. Yeah. It's competitive professional basketball, probably a level below the NBA. I don't think it's insulting to say that, but also at a high enough level to merit notice and NBA players that have, I mean, Caruso that we just talked about came from yeah. the G League. Yeah. So, the, the, so they have a chance to to show that they belong in the NBA. Yeah, the NBA and the G League kind of work hand in hand. So the teams, you know, the two-way contracts that, that teams have, those guys go down and play in, in the G League. You cannot be drafted until you've, you're a year out of college uh, or a year, I'm sorry, a year out of high school. And the G League is an option for that. So there are guys who go on to be great NBA players that come out of high school and go for a year in the G League. Uh, I shot last or two years ago, last year, two years ago, 
Taylin Horton Tucker for that plays for the Lakers now. Mm-hmm. Cameron Payne, who played on the Suns team that won the mm-hmm. Western Conference Significant last year. Players, by the way. Both. Yeah, uh, Terrence Mann, who's playing for the Clippers. Amir Coffey, who's playing for the Clippers. You know, a lot of guys that now are are playing. Um, significant minutes in the NBA started in the G League. So I get to shoot that sometimes. And um, I'm going to be shooting on Thursday the Clippers G League team. And Harry Giles is on that team. So I'm looking forward to that. I, you know, when I get to, when I shoot games, I get to sit down on the court. I get to hear what's being said. I'm usually right by the player's bench. So that's really fun for me to get to be that close and kind of interact with them a little bit and, and, you know, shoot them. So I say, I'm excited to get to shoot Harry. That'll be fun. So that's my that's my fun. Let's end this on a positive note. Tidbit today, and <laughs> uh, an exciting game that we get to see tomorrow against the Bulls, which is where we started this. You guys, again, hearing this already know what happened, but we tried to we tried to curse them into a win in Phoenix. It didn't work, so I'm just going to be neutral about it and say I'm. This will be a fun game to watch. A and really fun game to watch. It's at home, so we've got a a good chance. Granted, Dame and Norm are both questionable, so... Yeah, well, that'll be interesting, you know, who who steps in for both of those. I mean, but, you know, we said, again, as soon as Coach Billiff said lineup changes, I want to, you know, rewind back to three weeks ago when we said, yeah, I mean, Larry Nance Jr. and Nasir Little into the starting lineup wouldn't be the worst thing in the universe. Yep. So we may see some version of that on uh, on Wednesday. Well, for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard. We are pleased, as always, to have you with us. We will be back again next week, hopefully talking about something other than a two-and-two two, uh, week, <laughs> although I don't know how many games they play. If they only play three... Yay! <laughs> we won't get another yeah. two in two week. But let's hope it's a let's hope it's a winning record, whatever it is. Uh, until then, we will uh, wish you luck and wish the Blazers luck and hope your week is well. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, "Get that weak stuff out of here." Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Takes under an alley oop. She jams it. Boom! Shakalaka. Cloud is on his feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!